Grab your Bible, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And it's expected at some point in the Christmas season, Seth, that you're going to hear those words. Luke chapter 2, and I'm excited about diving into God's Word today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and uh, we'll have most of the verses on the screen as well today. We are continuing a series that we started last week, and this series is called Strength for the Season. And how many of you could use a little bit of strength for the season? Anybody like that? And we're learning from Scripture, from the Christmas story, about how we can procure strength for the season uh, in which we are uh, traversing. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, and we're going to start reading in verse number 36. If you're there, would you say amen? Verse 36. The Bible says this, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks. Everybody say, gave thanks. She gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption, redemption in Jerusalem. For a few minutes today in this 930 service, I'd like to speak to this subject. Stay steady. Stay steady. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in today. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time we can come together and learn from your word. Lord, I pray that we would lean in to this moment. I pray that we would lean into your word that we see today. Lord, I pray that we would be able to have a better understanding of what these words mean and and how they apply to our lives. And Lord, I pray that today we would not simply be hearers of the word, but I pray that we would be doers of the word. And I pray that we would understand from this text how we can stay steady, how we can find strength for this season. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today. Growing up, I remember one of my favorite things every year was our church had an annual church picnic. And growing up, I was so excited about the annual church picnic because there's nothing better as an elementary student than getting together with your friends and hanging out at the park and participating in a lot of the uh, park challenges that our church would do uh, on that day. And how many of you would say that you're a little bit competitive? Can I see your hands? How many of you would say, I get a little bit embarrassingly competitive? Anybody like that? Like, it's like, okay, calm down, right? And uh, a lot of people would get real competitive in those uh, church picnic challenges, and we would do, you know, foot races and water balloon tosses and different games like that. But my favorite game, my favorite challenge, and I brought an example for us today, is the classic egg and spoon challenge. And uh, this is not a hard-boiled egg. And so in the first service, it made me a little bit nervous. Hold on, I got to get a better grip there. Okay. And uh, uh, don't worry, if I drop it, my daughter Liv gave me a joke. She said that I'm just trying to crack you guys up if I drop it. Okay. So there you go. You can take that one. And uh, you know, the thing that's interesting about the egg and spoon challenge is this challenge requires you to do two things. It requires you to move quickly because you want to get first place. You want to cross the finish line first. It requires you to move quickly, but more importantly, it requires you to move steadily. 
because you need to make sure that you have the egg intact when you cross the finish line. And so you're moving quickly. You want to move quickly across that line, but you're also moving steadily. And I thought about that uh, for a minute, and I was thinking the truth of the matter is, in our culture today, we don't have a problem with moving quickly. We are constantly, uh, as a society, in a hurry. Have you noticed this? There's the hustle and bustle in every season, it seems, and uh, we're constantly in a hurry, and we want things quickly, and I want to make sure that my Starbucks order gets delivered on time, and, and I want to make sure that uh, the Little Caesar, Caesar's hot and ready is actually hot and ready. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I want to make sure that my Amazon Prime order is next day delivery. Uh, we have no problem, as a culture, moving quickly, but where we struggle often is moving steadily. We've lost the ability through ups and downs and through thick and thin, the ability just to stay steady moving forward. You know, the author of Hebrews talked about this in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number one, he said this. He said, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run. And so there's the quickly part that uh, there should be a sense of urgency in your life. The reality is we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so we don't want to just kind of uh, uh, go through life lazily. We have to recognize that we're called to run the race, but we're called to run, move quickly, but then here it is, with patience. Now that's the hard part. Uh, We like to run. We like to move quickly, but run with patience. That means move steadily uh, with patience, the race that is set before us. Can I tell you today that there's a big difference between starting a race and staying the course? A lot of people know how to start a race. Very few people know how to stay the course. The Apostle Paul talked about this, and and this was something that he was intentional about when he wrote to Timothy, a young pastor. And this is what he said to Timothy. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I, I stayed the course. I stayed steady. And then he says this, I have kept the faith. I finished my course. I've stayed the course. Can I just remind you today that the faith to step out is worthless without the faith to stick it out. And so often we start something and we can start with enthusiasm and we can start with excitement, but it's always disheartening when uh, that excitement fades and fizzles away. When someone that is uh, excited about their faith when they first receive Jesus Christ and they're excited about the things of the Lord and then somewhere along the way it just kind of becomes same old, same old and we kind of fade away. Maybe uh, someone that is excited when they first get married and they're excited about their new marriage and, and uh, kind of still in that honeymoon phase and then a few weeks in you realize your spouse uh, puts the toilet paper on upside down so you have to pull it from beneath like a crazy person and then you're wondering, you know, what is going on in my life and so we can start to kind of fizzle and fade away and it's often heartbreaking when someone starts with such excitement, but it doesn't last. You know, I believe that the church should be a place of excitement. I've grown up in church my whole life, and uh, we have the greatest message in the whole world, the fact that we can be saved and have a home in heaven, and and that Jesus loves us, and that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and so I just happen to believe that we have the greatest message in the world, and we should be excited about it. Now, a lot of people say that they're excited, but they come to church, and they don't seem very excited. And how many of you growing up, you remember the song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. It's a great song, right? I think we should change the lyrics to, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Because some people, they don't seem so happy, right? Now, I think that we should be filled with joy. I think that, yeah, there's a lot that we can complain about. There's a lot that's going wrong in the world. But hey, we worship the Savior, the King of Kings, who's in control of it all. And so... So I think there should be a level of excitement, but please hear me, beyond 
our level of excitement, there should be a level of endurance. Because we don't want to just have a temporary excitement in emotion that quickly fades away. We want to have the ability to stay steady. So when the storms of life come, we have this hope. We have this anchor for our soul that can keep us grounded and rooted uh, in those difficult times in life. Now, we come to Luke chapter 2 today, and of course, Luke chapter 2 is the Christmas narrative. And uh, uh, Luke, uh, as a detailed uh, historian, he writes with precision and accuracy and detail. And he's going to include some witnesses to the birth of the Savior. He's going to want to make sure that there are witnesses, eyewitness testimonies that we can look to. But I think it's interesting that the witnesses that Luke introduces us to, they're not prominent figures in the first century. Like we've seen the nativity scene. We know the characters and uh, they are famous to us. But in the first century, these weren't prominent characters. Uh, Mary and Joseph were from the despised and rejected city of Nazareth. They were so poor that when they came to the temple, they couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb, and so they had to have two pigeons to bring. Uh, They didn't have any money. They didn't have any notoriety. They didn't have any fame. The shepherds, Luke introduces us to the shepherds. They were the commonest of the commonest. They were the lowest of the low. Uh, When they take the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, to the temple, they're introduced to a man named Simeon. Uh, We don't know anything really about this man, Simeon. He's an older man, and and, uh, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he picks up baby Jesus in the temple when Jesus is eight days old, and he says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Uh, But Simeon is a relatively unknown character. And so Luke introduces us to these Christmas characters, and they're not very prominent in the first century. And this is hard for us in modern culture to understand, because we think in modern culture that in order to be significant, you have to be prominent. And this is a lie that the devil feeds us. If you want to make a difference, then you can't really make a difference if you have 82 Instagram followers, then no one's going to listen to you. And, and uh, you really think you can change the world making minimum wage? I don't think so. And, and see, the world equates significance with prominence. But I'm so thankful today that in God's economy, prominence does not equal significance. And it doesn't matter if you have zero dollars in your bank account and zero Instagram followers. God can still use you for his purposes, for his glory. I'm so thankful today that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so it's not about what I have to bring to the table. It's about what Jesus brings to the table in my life. And so these characters that Luke introduces us to, they're not prominent uh, by worldly standards. But God wanted to use them in a great way. And so Luke is introducing us to these witnesses. The shepherds, Mary and Joseph, Simeon. And then we come to verse number 36 of chapter 2. And Luke is going to bring his last witness to the stand. And it's a woman that's not often talked about. Her name is Anna. We don't know much about Anna. In fact, verses 36 through 38 are the only things in Scripture that we know about Anna. And yet, this woman shows us how we can stay steady. If there was anyone that could tell us how to find strength for the season, it was Anna. If there was anyone that knew about adversity in life, pain in life, and the ability to stay steady, it was Anna. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes today is I want us to look to these few verses, and I want us to see three ways from the Scripture, from from the Bible, of how we can stay steady. Does that sound okay this morning? And so number one, if you're taking notes today, three ways that we can stay steady. Number one is this. Recognize that God is working in our pain. You have to recognize that God is working in your pain. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we can try to cope with our pain today. A lot of different ways that we can try to deal and manage or minimize our pain. 
I was reading that during the baseball playoffs this year in the major league uh, playoffs that there was a fan for the Philadelphia Phillies and uh, Seth, he wanted to get into the game, but he wanted to bring his emotional support animal, but they denied him access. They wouldn't let him in. Now, the reason they wouldn't let him in is because his emotional support animal was a five foot alligator. I think we have a picture this morning. And his name is Wally, true story. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna have an alligator be my emotional support animal, but if I were, Wally does look pretty nice, okay? And uh, so they wouldn't let him into the game. Uh, There's a lot of different ways in life that we can try to deal with our pain. There's a lot of different ways that we can try to manage the hurt in our lives. And what we're gonna see is in the life of Anna, she she was a woman that was very familiar with pain. I want you to see it in our text. I want, I want to encourage you to keep your Bible up, but notice what it says in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess. And so right off the bat, we're introduced to Anna. She was a prophetess. That meant that in some capacity, whether it was official or unofficial, she was a communicator of God's truth. So Anna was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. So we're kind of introduced to her heritage, her lineage. I think it's interesting that she was from the tribe of Asher. The word Asher means happy. But it's ironic because from a human perspective, nothing really seems happy about her circumstances. If anyone could have not been happy, it certainly would have been Anna. Because notice how the Bible describes her situation. It says this at the end of verse number 36. She was of great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, verse 37, and she was a widow of about four score and four years. So for 84 years, she was a widow. And this is kind of an interesting way to introduce someone, Uh, but this is what Luke is saying, that this woman that was in the temple named Anna, she was married at a very young age. In fact, in Jewish culture in the first century, they would often get married at 13, 14 years old. And so she was married at a young age, and the Bible tells us that seven years into her marriage, her husband died. And she lived as a widow, unmarried, for the next 84 years. If anyone knew about pain, it was Anna. To lose the one you love most in life, to lose your spouse seven years into your marriage at such a young age, she knew all about loss. She knew all about losing a loved one. She knew all about trial and tragedy. She knew what it was like to feel all alone. You know, back in 1969, the world was watching as Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong were taking those first steps on the moon. Uh, But one astronaut that's often forgotten about was Michael Collins. And uh, Michael Collins was up in the Columbia, and he was just kind of orbiting uh, around the moon, waiting for them. And and, uh, he was up there in that shuttle, just kind of circling around the moon. And uh, every so often, he would pass by on the dark side of the moon. And when he did, he was absolutely cut off from all forms of communication for 45 minutes. And this would happen several times as he was orbiting around the moon. He couldn't talk to anyone in the world. Total radio silence, absolute isolation. I believe that Michael Collins felt alone in that moment like no one else in the history of the world has ever felt. The truth of the matter is, the devil wants to jump on your back and he wants to convince you that nobody knows what you're going through that you are walking in isolation and you will always feel all alone. And I can't help but think about Anna as she is a widow at a young age 
navigating these feelings of isolation. But this is where the good news of Christmas comes in because the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter one, verse number 23, it says this, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, here's the best news, God with us, that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And even when you feel all alone, we worship Emmanuel, God who is with us. He is not distant, impersonal, and far that we cannot know him. Uh, the Bible says that, that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so here's Anna. She knew all about loss. She knew about trial. She knew about tragedy. To be a widow in the first century was a difficult thing. Widows were often neglected. Um, even worse, widows were often exploited. Uh, they were despised. People would try to take advantage of widows. It was very difficult to get a job as a Widow, And so while the world might have rejected Anna, I love what the Bible describes in James 127 when James, the brother of Jesus, is describing true religion, when he's describing authentic religion. This is what he said in James 127, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I don't know about you, but aren't you thankful that the heart of our God is for the fatherless and for the widows? And while the world might have rejected Anna, God loved her and had a plan for her. See, God always has a purpose in our pain. I read this week that 70% of people will experience at least uh, one traumatic event in their lifetime. And of those 70%, 20% will go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. In other words, there are millions of people in life living out of a stress response that developed from unhealed pain, from a trial, from a tragedy, from a traumatic event that never really was processed or, or, or healed. And, and often we can navigate these times and we can respond the wrong way to sorrow. Now, let me tell you today, when sorrow comes into your life, we have two options. We can allow sorrow to rob us of our faith. Or we can allow sorrow to root us deeper into our faith. And I believe that's exactly what happened in the life of Anna. She didn't get bitter. She didn't get cold and complacent. What Anna did was she allowed that pain to actually drive her closer to the Lord. And she recognized that God had a plan and a purpose even in the midst of her pain. It's no wonder the name Anna means grace. That God's grace was sufficient for her. And I'm thankful that God's grace is sufficient for us when we're navigating uh, seasons of adversity. And so, uh, number one, we have to recognize that God has a purpose in our pain. Uh, number two is this today. Refuse to throw in the towel. Refuse to throw in the towel. You want to stay steady in life? Refuse to throw in uh, the towel. How many of you have ever signed up for a gym membership? Can I see your hands? All right. Keep them up for a second. All right. Own it. Just own it. Okay. And uh, I read that gyms lose 50%. You can put them down. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, gyms lose 50% of new memberships in the first six months. Yeah. All right. So in the first six months, Seth, people don't, do, they don't make it past the first six months, right? And uh, a lot of times when things get difficult, uh, a lot of times when things aren't what we thought, aren't what we expected, it's easy for us to look for an off-ramp. By the way, can I tell you, for every opportunity from God, there will always be an off-ramp. There's always going to be an opportunity to not fulfill what God wanted you to do. It's like, you know, just because there is a seemingly open door in your life, uh, that does not equal obligation. When Jonah ran away from the will of God, he had the money to pay the fare for the ship. There was a ship available. There was people available that were there to help him. Jonah could have said, man, I've got a lot of open doors. Uh, but 
An open door doesn't always equal in obligation. Now, what we're going to see in Anna's life is that she refused to throw in the towel. She refused to give in. I want us to see it in verse number 37. If you're with me today, would you say amen? amen. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, 84 years. Watch this. Which departed not from the temple. Departed not from the temple. How can we find strength for the season? How can we stay steady? Is anybody interested in the 930 service in staying steady? Anybody like that? So how can we do this? I'm going to give you three things. First, you have to be in the right place. If you want to stay steady, you've got to be in the right place. Anna was in the right place. She departed not from the temple for 84 years. This is one of the greatest examples of devotion in all of the pages of Scripture. Some commentators say that she might have had... Uh, chambers that were adjacent to the temple, and she actually lived there. Uh, Other commentators just say this is an expression used to explain her devotion, that she was just always in the temple. Day in and day out, she was a fixture. You would go to the temple for various reasons, and there's Anna. She's always there. She was planted in the temple. And and I love this uh, because we see her, even though she is older in age, she Uh, never grew weary of serving the Lord. In fact, Matthew Henry, he said this, it is a pleasant sight to see aged Christians abounding in acts of devotion as those who are not weary of well-doing that do not think themselves above these exercises or past them, but that take more and more pleasure in them and see more and more need of them till they come to heaven. I don't know about you, but that's how I want my life to be, that I don't grow weary in well-doing and say, okay, here we go, another Christmas sermon from Luke chapter 2, but that I would be excited about the things of God for all the days of my life. See, what the church is lacking today is not creativity. What the church is lacking today is longevity. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stay faithful. See, when Anna was offended... She still showed up. When Anna was upset, she still showed up. When someone criticized her, when she was exhausted, she still showed up. I believe that God honors those who keep showing up. I'm just going to stay steady. She she was in the right place. One of the greatest things that you can do to find strength for the season is to be rooted and planted in the house of God and get yourself around some other believers that can help lift you up and say, hey, we're in this together. We're striving together. For the faith of the gospel. And so she was in the right place. I love what Psalm 1 1 says Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Did you notice that he's planted by the rivers of water? In other words, plant yourself in a place conducive for spiritual growth. Make sure that when you're considering your location in life, that there is a church that you can get rooted and planted into because you want to be rooted and planted in a place that's conducive for spiritual growth. Uh, See, if you want to find strength for the season, it's not about being promoted. It's about being planted. I'm going to get rooted and grounded in my faith. She was in the right place day in and day out. Anna was just showing up uh, to uh, the temple. Not only was she in the right place, but she had the right perspective. I want you to see her perspective in verse 37. Everybody still with me today? It says this, and she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And so we learned something else about Anna, that she was committed to fasting, committed to fasting. Now, in Jewish culture, fasting was not uncommon. They had different types of fast that you could partake in. We don't know what type of fast 
Anna partook in, but we do know that she was devoted night and day, and she was someone that was committed to fasting. Fasting is the practice of withholding something from ourselves, such as food, to say, you know, I'm going to deny myself of something that my body desires so that I can more earnestly focus my attention upon the Lord. And there are times when fasting is a good practice. There are times when we should fast. In fact, when Jesus talked about fasting, he said, when you fast. The implication is that it's something that you should be doing. And so uh, when you fast, the idea is self-denial. And so how did Anna have the right perspective? Well, she had the right perspective because it wasn't all about her. She knew to deny self. She was practicing fasting, practicing self-denial. And this is interesting because in our culture, uh, we constantly want to say yes to ourselves. If it feels good, do it. If it tastes good, taste it. If it looks good, look at it. Uh, we, we live in a culture where, hey, uh, follow your heart, pursue your dreams. Hey, pursue your own happiness. We have rights, rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And people are pursuing happiness in any which way that they can. And we have this ability to want to say yes to ourselves. There was a whole movie a couple years ago. It was called Yes Day. Anybody see this movie? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes Day. And it's where these kids would just ask their parents anything. And for one day, they just had to say yes to everything. Some of your parents are like, that sounds like a nightmare, right? And uh, yes, my, my kid said, Dad, can we have a yes day? I said, no. <laughs> we cannot. You know, I, I can say no to my kids fairly easily because of some of the things that they ask me. Like, Dad, can we have ice cream for breakfast? No, no. <laughs> right? And uh, Dad, can we have a horse? No, <laughs> we're not going to get a horse. And uh, Dad, can we have a bunny? No, although I did say yes one time to that. And, uh, and uh, they can ask all kinds of things. It's easy for me to say no to my children, but here's the real test of spiritual maturity. You ready for it? When you can say no to yourself. When I want this, I desire this, I'm pursuing this, but you know what? I'm going to deny myself. See, everybody with me? Because we live in a world of instant gratification and I'm just going to pursue pleasure. I'm just going to make myself happy, okay? But it's no surprise that we also live in a world filled with anxiety, stress, and depression. And so maybe there's a correlation there, and maybe the answer to finding strength for the season is not found in pleasing self, but actually denying self. When I recognize, hey, this is not all about me. Who can I serve? Who can I help? Who can I love? This was Anna on a daily basis. She was serving other people, even though she went through pain. And so she was in the right place. She had the right perspective. But then also, number three, she believed in the power of prayer. And I believe that all three are necessary if we are going to find strength for the season. We've got to be in the right place. We have to have the right perspective. And we must rely on the power of prayer. Now, notice what uh, it says in verse 37. At the end of the verse, it says, but serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. What do we know about Anna? She was committed to prayer. She believed in the power of prayer. You know, there was um, a woman named Pearl Good, and she was someone that would pray for the Billy Graham Crusades. And uh, she lived in Pasadena, and uh, she would just pray for these crusades and pray for people to be saved. And that's what she wanted. That was her heart's desire. I just want to see more people receive Jesus Christ uh, as their Savior. And so she would pray. Well, Billy Graham found out about this in the association, and they reached out to Pearl Good, and they paid for her and invited her to come to every single crusade that they had simply to pray. I said, we want you to come. She didn't have to pass out a bulletin. She didn't have to do anything else. She didn't have to talk to anyone else. All she had to do was talk to God. Amen. So they invited Pearl Good, and she would just pray at every single crusade. Well, Pearl Good, she passed away when she was 90 years old. And at her funeral, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said this. Here lie the mortal remains of much of the secret of Bill's ministry. 
She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't an author. She wasn't a missionary. But can I tell you what she was? A prayer warrior. Pearl Good reminds me a lot of Anna, that she did what she could. She just kept on showing up on a daily basis, and she believed in the power of prayer. Can I encourage you today? At Rock Hill Church, we believe in the power of prayer, and we want to see God do immeasurably more in our midst, above anything that we can ask or imagine. 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, this is going to lead us to our third thought. You have time for one more yet today? Number three is this. We have to rejoice in the goodness of God. You want to stay steady? Be rejoicing in your life. Rejoice in his goodness. What's the primary characteristic of Anna's life? She rejoiced. She gave thanks when she was introduced uh, to Jesus. And she had this praise about her. And as we close, I want us to see uh, three things about this. First, I want us to see her timing. The, the, The timing of all this was interesting. Notice it in verse 38. It says this. And she coming in that instant, that instant, Everybody say, that instant. Like, in that very hour, in that very moment, Jesus showed up. In that very moment, here is the newborn baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, the creator of heavens and earth, the long-awaited Messiah, the consolation of Israel, the King of kings in the flesh. In that moment. It happened so quickly. Herod's temple was massive. There would have been thousands of people coming in and out of Herod's temple on a daily basis. There, uh, it was just a, a massive place. And yet in God's providence, in God's sovereignty, it just so happens that Mary and Joseph found this older man named Simeon in the temple. And then it just so happens that Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus now find this woman, Anna, to be a witness of the Savior that in God's perfect timing, in that instant, Jesus was before. Now, Uh, How many of you would say, that sounds like a pretty cool moment? Like, wow, in that moment, here's Jesus, and here's Anna. And and wow, this is an incredible moment. It just happened so fast in that instant. And and, and we might be tempted to think, well, man, wouldn't it be nice if God worked that quickly in my life? Like, God, I need an answer about my job now. God, I need a raise yesterday. God, I need you to show me the path that you have for me right now. God, we're all interested. We're very interested in an instant blessing. We live in an instant everything culture. The other day we got an Instapot. I don't even know all that it does. I just know that our rice gets done quicker, and I'm thankful for that. But, but we live in an instant culture. Everything is instant, instant. I, I want the blessing now. How quickly we forget that Anna was faithfully serving the Lord 84 years. And so what we would say happened suddenly, God would say happened steadily. We want an instant blessing, but we have to recognize God doesn't always work quickly, but he does work suddenly. And we have to be willing to stay steady and to be patient and to keep on serving the Lord day in, day out, even when we're not seeing the answers, even when it all doesn't make sense. We're willing to be faithful, and we're allowing God to bring the fruit into our lives. And so the timing of this was, was, was uh, divine. And, but not only her timing, I want you to see her thanksgiving. Okay, notice her thanksgiving in verse number 38. It says this, and she coming in that instant, right in that very moment, She gave thanks, likewise, unto the Lord. Likewise, just like Mary and Joseph were, just like Simeon was doing, she joined in the song. She joined in the praise, and she started to give thanks uh, to her God. I believe that she gave thanks because that's what she always did. I I believe that she had a thankful heart. I believe that even in her pain, uh, she was able to praise, and she was able to give thanks. Um, Recently, I saw an interesting photo. 
And every year, tourists will travel on Oregon's Highway 18. And uh, they see, as they're driving by Highway 18, uh, up in the hills, there's this massive smiley face. And the reason there's a massive smiley face is because back in 2011, there was a man that planted uh, a mix of Douglas firs and larch trees in this shape to make a smiley face. And so you can go and you can see this happy hill and uh, this smiley face on a hill. And when I saw that, I screenshotted it on my phone. I thought, that's a, that's a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful illustration because the truth of the matter is, if you want joy in your life, you've got to plant it there. See, joy doesn't happen by default. Joy happens by decision. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is a decision that we have. And so joy is not an emotion. Joy is a decision. And there ought to be some followers of Jesus like Anna that would say, even when I'm in pain, even when I'm confused, even when I'm hurt, I recognize that it's the joy of the Lord that is my strength. And I'm going to trust that God's in control. And that enables me to have joy in my life in spite of my circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. How do we rejoice always in terrible, painful hurtful circumstances because our joy is not linked to our circumstances our joy is linked to Christ and so because of that we can have joy in every season and so and on her timing but then her thanksgiving but then I want to conclude with this not only her timing her thanksgiving but I want to conclude with this her telling because notice how notice how this brief introduction to this woman ends verse number 38 and she coming in that instant that was the timing gave thanks that was the thanksgiving likewise unto the lord and spake of him. It's important in life that we're not always just talking about ourselves and our story and what we have going on. It's important to remember that we are to speak of him. Anna started speaking of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Anyone that would listen, she would tell about what she saw. She, she was telling everyone about the Savior that had been born in Bethlehem. By the way, I think it's fascinating that verse number 38, that people were looking, people were interested, people were seeking for truth. Can I tell you that there are people all around us that are seeking truth today? There's people that are hurting, they're broken, and they're searching for more, something of significance, something that's real. And we have the answer. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Anna is going, and she is telling everyone why. The blessings that come to us should then go through us. Wow, I got to experience the... Jesus, this newborn baby that is God in the flesh, I've got to go and tell other people about this. You know, have you ever met someone that was fanatical about something? A fanatic? Like, like have you ever met a Star Wars fanatic? You would know it if you met him because they just constantly talk about it, right? Just bring it up. That reminds me of when Princess Leia first met Chewie in episode four, and it's like, what are you talking about, Right? But it's on their minds. It's like they love talking about it. They're, they're, they're fanatical about it. I like the definition of a fanatic. A fanatic is someone that can't change their mind and can't change the subject. And I like that definition because I think there ought to be some fanatics for Jesus. That when it comes to uh, Jesus Christ and his salvation, you can't change my mind and I can't change the subject. I'm going to keep on talking about Jesus. I'm going to keep on singing about Jesus. I'm going to keep on praising Jesus. I'm going to keep on telling other people about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If there's anything that we ought to be fanatical about, it is Jesus. And this is Anna. She's telling people about this message. But did you notice what her message was all about? 
It tells us in verse 38, it's all about redemption. Anyone that was searching for redemption in Jerusalem, anyone that was curious about salvation and redemption, uh, this was the message that she was delivering. I love that word redemption. It means to be bought back, to be, to be purchased back. And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he, he paid the price that we couldn't pay, and he purchased us from the slave market of sin so that we might experience freedom in Christ and salvation. There was this pastor in the 1800s. His name was A.J. Gordon. He was a pastor in, in Boston. And A.J. stands for Adoniram Judson, who was a famous missionary who he was named after. And A.J. Gordon was faithfully pastoring in Boston. One day, uh, there was this little boy that came by. This is a true story. And he was having, he, he had this uh, cage filled with a couple of birds in it. And it was a dirty cage and just some birds in there. And, and the pastor said, uh, what are you doing uh, with those birds? And he said, well, I caught them out in the field. And I don't know, I'm going to play with them. And then I'll probably just feed them to my cat. And so A.J. Gordon was like, oh, well, what do you, what do you think if I, if I uh, bought those from you? And he said, they're not worth anything. They're just field birds. And, and he said, I'll give you $2 for them. And so the boy said, all right. He took the $2. A.J. Gordon, that pastor, he took that cage. He went around to the back of the church building. He opened up the cage, and he let the birds fly free. And then, uh, yes, and then what he did was he took, that, he took that bird cage, and he brought it with him the next Sunday, and he placed it right on his pulpit, and he preached a whole message on redemption. And he said, I paid the price so that those birds could fly free. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I could fly free. This is why Jesus was born. He was born so that he would die. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He went to the cross for your sin and for my sins. And there he bled and died for the sins of humanity so that we might be forgiven. And aren't you thankful three days later, he rose again from the grave and Jesus is alive and well today. And because Jesus rose again and because Jesus is alive, we too can experience everlasting life. And that is the greatest message of Christmas. That's the greatest gift you could receive this season. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible says that you can call upon his name and you will be saved. You don't have to earn salvation. It's a gift that you receive, not something that you achieve. And so I want to encourage you today. If you've received that gift of salvation, stay steady. Not in your own strength, but in the strength that the Lord can provide. And if you're not a Christian today, if you've never received Jesus, today can be the day of salvation for you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.